What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 50. That's right. I said 50. 5-0. We, we are making it. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. Ben, how's it going? I mean, this is usually the time when I do some kind of witty intro thing, but let's just skip that this week. We have more important things to talk about. I don't want to make a fool of myself when we have company, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We do have company. Not only is Ben joining me this week, but we also have Rob, aka Viral Misnomer from 17 Lands, here to chat about using data to inform decisions. Rob, it's great to have you. It's great to be here. I'm excited to chat through this with you guys. Awesome, awesome. Well, before we get into all of that, of course, we have some housekeeping items. If you haven't been made of where yet check out the discord that's the best place to go to, to talk with us uh, outside of the show and uh, we've got channels open for just about everything from the new limited sets i know modern horizons 2 just came out is going to be an interesting limited format as well as uh, a nice addition to a lot of constructed formats we've got stuff for all of the main limited formats going on as well as a, a handful of constructed formats over there at the discord so check that out and we're coming up as i mentioned this is episode number 50 we're coming up very quickly to our one year anniversary and we're going to have a lot of stuff going on for that so you definitely don't want to miss that the best place to be to check out all of the news on that is the discord you can check out the link to that in the episode description um, and we'll see you there of course, if you are interested in supporting the show, the best place to do that is Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Of course, the show is always free, but we do have a couple of different options over there for you if you're interested in supporting us directly. We've got things like stickers, access to the full show notes, custom deck building opportunities with Ben and I, access to unedited versions of the show and, and things of that nature. So if you're interested in that, definitely go check that out. And as a result of the awesome patrons over there at Patreon, we are now uploading all of our videos or all of our episodes to YouTube. So definitely check that out if you want a, a, like a video version of the podcast as well. All right, with that out of the way, on to our crack and draft type thing. Ben, you've got a pack one, pick three for us. Why don't you walk us through it? Right, so for those that are new, this is where we take a look at either a pack one, pick one, or just a, a pick from, from a draft. Something that Zach or I encountered in, in the past week that kind of made us scratch our heads a little bit, something worth discussing. And, oh boy, I, I prefaced this one to Zach by saying, uh, so, so I had this train wreck draft uh, last week, and uh, it... it wound up very strange i wanted to kind of break down what went wrong uh, the deck finished two and three it was a mess and i heavily attribute that to my messy draft i first picked rip apart solid good stuff there wasn't anything particularly interesting in the pack that was worthy of note i don't love first picking a two-colored card of course but it was just by power level the strongest pick in the pack i felt pretty okay with it second i was happy to see a heated debate in the next pack i snapped that up and i'm looking to be some kind of either red white aggro or potentially one of these you know like jeskai controlly decks that could potentially make use of rip apart in the later game pack three is where the wheels fell off the uh the metaphorical train wait trains have wheels right or yeah yeah they have the kind of like the yeah but you know what i mean they have like the weird things on the side okay wheels on the bus that's the saying right <laughs> um <laughs> so in this pack here we've got devouring tendrils dina soul steeper uh, there's some nonsense in there crushing disappointment eureka moment some of those things that we wouldn't discuss, but what other what otherwise sticks out to me from the commons is Quandrix Pledge Mage, Rise of Exodus, and we still have a lesson in this pack that's uh, Spirit Summoning. There's a Hunt for Specimens hiding here too as uh, the only learned card in the pack besides First Day of Class, which is playable, but I don't love it. I took the Devouring Tendrils here. Let's talk about why this probably wasn't a good idea. 
Well, we do have the added benefit of the 17 lands log, so I was able to see how the rest of this draft went. And this is actually a pivotal pick here for Ben. I personally, one card you left out uh, in your description of the pack there was the Prismari Pledge Mage, and that's actually the pick I would have gone with here. You've got Heated Debate, you've got Rip Apart. None of these other cards really jive too well with either of those cards, and I could see potentially taking the Devouring Tendrils as maybe a signal that green is open with the Dina and the Pledge Mage also in the pack, but in my opinion, coming into pack one, pick three, it's just too early to make a, like, stake a claim on a, on a, basically a third color, sort of, without seeing more context for the draft and there are three powerful green cards in this pack that doesn't necessarily tell me that green's open they may just have not been the best cards in the pack we only have two picks missing so i would have taken the prismari pledge mage it keeps you open in red and uh you know you can wait to take that second color you're probably gonna end up splashing the rip apart any thoughts on this rob yeah um i uh i, I agree that this is, a, this is a tough pick there are a lot of options here i think um as uh, as zach was saying there's there are a few sort of multicolor cards here or sorry hybrid cards here um that uh, i think would be drawing my eye um probably the prismari pledge range but I, I think rise of exodus is also something you could consider just just for the flexibility um in that you don't like you said you don't want to um dip your toe into necessarily a third color and know that you're not almost uh un- or pretty unlikely to play the devouring tendrils with the heated debate on unless you're splashing uh, which i don't think you want to be doing as much um so yeah i, I would probably agree with zach on the prismari pledge mage here mm-hmm. i think rise of exodus uh just as a, a solid learn card good stuff but right now just based on our first two picks we don't really know what kind of deck this is going to be whether this is going to be like a low to the ground aggressive deck both of which kind of slot into or whether it's going to be a later game controlling deck both of which i mean these are just two good value removal spells right so i agree uh i admittedly what was going through my head here was that this is a power level signal to me so what, what i think i was thinking about was this has told me that the people to my right weren't super interested in in a good rate green removal spell and i think this was a bad use of Kind of like expected value reasoning i was thinking that well maybe green is going to end up being open and then i'm okay taking a pick here on devouring tendrils but it is pick three i don't think i should have been speculating that early it's a it's a little soon for that however uh sometime before this format ends i do want to draft the fabled red green deck which i just don't think works and i have actually seen the 17 lands data and it confirms that it has an awful win rate compared to everything else so someday i, I want to try it but this was not that time I, I haven't looked how many uh how many people do we have that have tried that out on 17 lands not not too many brave souls but uh it didn't look like many were successful with that let's move on to our teferi tibble if you're new to the show this is a section where we talk about something good that happened in our week something bad that happened in our week you might have heard of this as roses and thorns ben why don't you kick us off with this one yeah sure so my teferi or my, my rose so to speak i had a four-day weekend uh it was memorial day here in the united states uh, and i actually had a leftover snow day for those that don't know i'm a teacher uh, we had a, a snow day that we never used, and they just kind of stuck it on a Memorial Day weekend. I don't really know why or what the logic was behind that. I would have preferred to have a day cut off from the end of the school year, but I don't make the rules. Um, that also meant that I have a short week this week, three days, which is pretty nice. That being said, uh, a lot of my classes have 100% checked out. They are no longer interested in doing anything. I had my seniors hooked today for the first 20 minutes because we watched a clip from Mad Max and we're analyzing the like the, the trajectories of like the the stunt bike riders and trying to figure out what 
exact time they'd have to drop grenades on on the the rigs and everything it was really cool and then we started doing the actual physics and like they fell asleep at home because you know it's tough but (laughs) but uh anyway it's still a a fun time uh having a bit of a short week my tybalt this week oh man it was a saga so i had one of the worst most scarring encounters with a bug i've ever had in my life and i'm i consider myself a pretty naturey guy i like bugs but this house centipede some people know them as silverfish they're these things that crawl around in your house uh they look horrifying there was a card that looks kind of like it recently what was the the three mana three one uh that got landfall plus two plus two from from zenicar rising oh geez you're taking me back three sets now i don't know tunneling geopede it's a geopede right it was some kind of they basically looked like that Uh, and and the one that i had in my house was that big so this thing i managed to like it it fell into my sink as i was brushing my teeth like from the sky and it made like a, a plunk as it hit the the sink it was horrific i managed to like flush it down the drain uh, just by throwing water on it and then it crawls back out like it thinks it's some kind of terminator or something it, it, it was it was horrific one of the worst experiences of my life hands down uh would not do again and i usually like bugs so this was this was rough for me <laughs> i guess your your house spider's not doing its job didn't last week i think your your fairy tibble involved a, a massive spider in your house well, my theory is that the bugs in my house are unionizing and oh. that they've decided to rise up against me because I've, I've always treated them with respect. But I guess I must have swatted at a fly and the union didn't like that. So uh, respect on the bugs for, for teaming up. But I, I can't wait to switch apartments. That's all I'll say. Anyway, what's up with you this week, Zach? Yeah, so uh, my Teferi was that uh, given that it was Memorial Day this weekend in the U.S., as Ben mentioned, I had a pretty sweet vacation. My wife and I went up to New Hampshire to visit her her sister, um, and then basically all of like the Northeast, like New England area, is covered in really awesome mountains. So we did a ton of hiking. Uh, went out there to do some landscape photography and stuff. It was really really fun. I'm like I I guess I'm an amateur hobbyist photographer, so I, I enjoy doing that sort of thing. Got some really cool photos of the White Mountain National Forest. Um, we had this one hike that was like three-ish miles, um, and it was a mile of... There was a thousand-foot elevation gain in one mile, and then it was like a plateau for a mile, and then back down that thousand feet for the last mile. Wow. So it was, it was a pretty fun hike, a little bit rigorous, but not like backbreaking or anything. So it was, it was really nice. And at the top of the mountain that we were on was this massive lake uh, that they call Lonesome Lake. So it's just like in this like caldera in the top of a mountain. It was, it was really, really nice a nice view. My tibble this week though, is that we got up. So the, that whole weekend was supposed to rain. It was supposed to rain like Saturday, Sunday, and then late Friday evening. And our plan was to come back home Monday morning. So we got up there on Friday and because it was supposed to rain Friday evening, we thought let's get in early. We'll do one hike Friday afternoon. And then at least if it rains the rest of the weekend, we got one hike in. So we get to this this mountain. Uh, we're going to this place called Artist Bluff in, in New Hampshire. It's another beautiful view of a lake. Um, overlooked by this big rocky bluff on the side of a mountain. And we get out and I realize I left all the SD cards for my camera at home. <laughs> so my camera's just useless, uh, which was really disheartening because like 90% of the trip was to take photos and kind of oh. do that without a camera that works. I ended up getting some decent shots on my phone anyway, but it, it just felt bad. And then as I was like packing up my camera stuff to leave in the car, I realized I also left my hiking shoes at hannah's parents house because we stopped there on the way up so it was just like a a nightmare all around i just forgot all the important stuff uh but the trip ended up being okay and then the next day it wasn't raining so we got to do another hike and i managed to run out and get an sd card so i salvaged the rest of that trip but uh yeah i was not happy when i when i first checked that out 
Nice. Well, uh, for our visual watchers, I can show off some of Zach's photography. It's quite good. There you go. Check that oh, out. Wow. That was gorgeous, right? But thanks. Yeah, that was... <laughs> uh, yeah, I love this picture. It's it's gorgeous. Is this the, the Caldera, right? Uh, yep. Yep. That was that one. Very nice. It's good that uh, phones these days are decent alternatives uh, compared to flip phones or nothing. You go yeah. back far enough. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the biggest things, at least for landscape photography, is having a wide angle lens. And a lot of phones nowadays do have those added. So yeah, for sure, it's they've come a long way. But how about you, Rob? How how was your week this week? It's been uh, been pretty good. Um, for for me, for the Safari, um, I think the thing that um, was best for me was being able to launch a new feature on the on the site. Um, so we haven't made it super public yet; just released it within the the Discord. Um, but for doing um, drafts on the site against um, uh, a model that's been trained against all the draft data that we have from our users. Um, so a chance for people to run through practice drafts without running through gems, um, which is exciting. Um, and so it's been good to see people's reactions to that, uh, see what feedback people have, um, the impact it has on the, um, on the site itself to make sure it's not going to bring everything down or use too many resources. So um, yeah, that was, that was one of our uh, Patreon goals. Um, so it was good to hit that a little while back and then been working on it as, as much as I can to, to get that out since then. Yeah, really, just a really cool feature. I was really excited to see that that was released uh, in the Discord there. Very, very cool. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves as we add more sets and, and things like that. Um, so yeah, a lot of cool stuff to come on that. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, um, for my... Tibalt, uh, we had a bit of rain here this uh, this past weekend, and the my wife and I moved into uh, a new house uh, about a year ago that we knew was quite a, a fixer-upper, um, uh, but uh, this weekend we found out that the roof definitely needs to be replaced uh, ASAP. Um, had some water leaking in, um, uh, not, uh, not too much, and thankfully the rain held off, um, but never good to hear something dripping inside your house uh, especially not in a sink or anything like that yikes definitely not yeah that's that's less than ideal for sure uh, that resolved pretty quickly i mean just seeing the hard work you all do on on 17 lands i i hope you have that same skill with uh house repairs uh i learning youtube helps a lot <laughs> that's true youtube actually it's it's kind of wild how much you can you can pick up and just do randomly based on youtube videos it's kind of surprising mm -hmm. like working on cars and all sorts of stuff is kind of made a lot more accessible by uh by youtube all right with that on to our listener question of the week this one comes from rob rob dies at the end and actually we kind of have a three questions from Rob dies at the end this week. They addressed the question to Ben and myself, and then we're adding a little tidbit here because the listeners didn't know we were having Rob on this week. So uh, we're going to add one in there for him, but Ben, yours is up first. What has surprised you the most about your first year of teaching? This is tough. It's really difficult to say because this wasn't a normal year for many reasons. Uh, I've been teaching hybrid. So I almost feel like I can't speak to anything other than that experience. I'll probably have a different answer by the end of my first year in-person teaching, you know, but I would say as for this year, my students have surprised me the most um, and just how, just what they can do. I think it was my my graduate advisor that always told us uh, to never underestimate our students and to, you know, never like assume that they can't do a certain thing because they will always surprise you. And I've just had that confirmed over and over again. Every and every time I, I feel myself slipping or or like 
almost like phoning it in a little bit, one of my students will just do something incredible. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to keep going. So it's been it's been rewarding in a way because it helps propel me to like the next big thing. So hearing students like like hearing that click, that has been I mean, there's nothing like it in the world. It's it's really rewarding. So uh, actually, tomorrow I'm doing a really fun observational experiment that the students are going to watch. I'm taking my whole class outside for my uh, astronomy class, and we're going to do a a general relativity uh, experiment. It's going to be very cool. It involves dropping a a water bottle, uh, and some surprising things happen. You can look it up on YouTube. Uh, I think, ooh, I forget who has a good video, but if you just look up like general relativity water bottle, there's some really cool experiments on there. Uh, highly recommend looking it up if you were interested in physics or anything tangential. So I would say uh, my students have surprised me the most. Uh, part two of this question is for Zach. What has surprised you the most about your first few months of your new job? And also maybe for the for people, what is that job? Yeah, so I am a I'm in the DevSecOps space, meaning I work with software infrastructure for a living. And um, the new job that I am in now, I used to be a site reliability engineer for Nielsen. Uh, they do like data analytics and, and collection of, of data for all sorts of different things in media. In fact, your targeted ads that you get on Instagram and Facebook and stuff likely came from data they collected. But I moved to a different company called Boxboat. They are a DevSecOps consultancy. So I work now with clients basically learn what needs that 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 client has and then do my best to either give them suggestions on how to fix it or fix it myself for them. And I'd say the most surprising part about that has been just like how different other like companies problems are and how easy it is to work in a group that doesn't actually have its own product. It's it's different it's interesting because at Nielsen I was working as kind of a support member for a certain software product that that the company had. And so I was in charge of making sure that the infrastructure was always available. And if something broke or a computer, you know, shut down or something, a server went down, I had to be there to fix it and things like that. So I was on call at times. So it's sort of like a live service aspect. And Boxwood doesn't have any products because we're a consultancy. So I don't have any of that. I can just work on the project I'm working on. And then I roll off of that into a new project working with a different client. And, and that part has been really, really fun. But it's, it's just interesting the difference in workflow from a company that doesn't actually have its own product compared to one that does. And seeing and I the last I've been on two engagements so far. I've worked with two different clients and the problems they asked me to solve were tangential. They worked with the same technologies but they were very different problems and it's cool to see just how different things are in different in different environments and different ecosystems within within different companies so i'd say that's probably the most surprising to me yeah you know whenever you talk about what you do for work you know in like spy movies when they have the hacker character and they're just like mashing on the keyboard and like green text floods the screen yeah yeah, that, that's kind of what I picture you doing. <laughs> it's not at all like that, but okay. <laughs> that's, that's what I see. So I'm pretty if, sure that's right. If you want that experience, go to hackertyper.com and you'll get, you'll get exactly <laughs> that. It's, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah. I, I picture you just on HackerTyper all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not so much, but but that's fun to think about, I guess. Uh, I kind of wish I was there just like mashing keys all day. That'd be have fun. you ever had to hack a mainframe? In your work I have never touched a mainframe. No, I actually, I used to work at IBM and they're like a big mainframe company, or at least they used to be, but I have never actually had hands on a mainframe before. Uh, does so, the M no. in IBM stand for mainframe? It does not. It stands for machine. It's worth a shot. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the third part of this question, which we're sort of injecting into this uh, for Rob here is what is the most surprising thing that you've experienced running 17 lands? Uh, I mean, the, the obvious thing that jumps to mind for me is just uh, 
how it's taken off. Um, the uh, fact that we have thousands of people um, using the software every day, people who click through the uh, advice against Windows of don't install this virus on your computer uh, to just be able to um, access their, their data um, and contribute to the data for the community and um, just the number of people in our in our discord people who um, are passionate about the data willing to help out other people who want to use the um, use the tracker use the software teach people data science skills um, I never would have imagined two years ago that uh, this would um, this would be where where things are so um, yeah, there's been a, a lot to learn along the way, um, along with all that growth, which has been good. Oh, I'm uh, I'm kind of sorry you have to see some of my drafts. I assume every single draft that gets sent to you, you, you like uh, kind of check mark and approve, and it goes past you. So <laughs> I apologize for that. That's exactly one. true. <laughs> That's a pretty good segue uh, into our main topic today, isn't it? Yeah. So as you know already, we have Rob, aka Viral Misnomer, here from Seventeen Lands, and we're gonna. The goal of this episode is to walk through using data to inform decisions properly. We've seen a lot of stuff on the interwebs and the Twitterverse and all of that since 17 Lands has picked up so much of people not necessarily using the data to the best of their ability or to the best application that it, that it could be used at. And we wanted to kind of, Ben and I both have a small statistics background, but we wanted to try to walk through proper data usage and a lot of the different things that go into actually applying the data you see on, on a site like 17 Lands to your drafts and limited. And then also just kind of life in general, there are a lot of different ways you can apply data even in your, your daily life. So uh, we thought there was no better person to have on the show besides the one who runs 17 lands in the first place. So of course we wanted to get Rob. Thanks again so much for coming on. We're really, really excited to have you, but for the listener, why don't you just give us a quick breakdown? Like, like, who are you a little, just a little bit of background on who you are, maybe what you what you did before 17 lands, what you brought, what brought you to, create 17 lands, things of that nature. Just a quick little intro. Yeah. Um, I, I guess sort of by trade, I, I'm a software developer. Um, my background is in um, mostly in data engineering. Um, so I'm more, uh, there definitely are better people that you could bring on to talk about, uh, uh, about how to use the data. Uh, my background is more in how to manage the data, um, but definitely have experience with um, uh, with yeah, how to how to use this data properly and have a intimate understanding of what all the caveats are and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I uh, enjoy writing software. Been playing Magic for um, uh, a while now. Um, started I feel like same story as a lot of people played when I was a kid. Took a decade off and then um, jumped back into it a little bit after college um, with uh, with some roommates and. Um, in love with limited and um, just really wanted to um, when I saw that arena had this sort of data available really wanted to be able to um, see what we could do with it and so um, yeah started 17 lands in the in the Lords of limited discord um, got a few people to um, give some feedback on the initial version of the software um, just at that time it was simple of people maybe so nothing um, significant in terms of sample sizes but um, people were enjoying the like draft re replay functionality and just being able to keep track of their statistics and slowly built up from there. Um, so yeah, it's been a, been a good ride since then. Yeah. That's awesome. So just to be clear to listener, 17 lands is like your pet project almost. Yeah. Yeah. I work on it 
uh, in the evenings and on the weekends. Uh, I have a, a full-time job uh, outside of it. So um, uh, at this point, I'm, I'm not alone. Um, uh, I guess kind of throughout, um, my wife helped me build uh, the, the first version of the site. Um, she's got more, I don't have all that much web development experience outside of 17 lands, or, um, but she, she has more. And so she helped me get the first version of the site up. Um, and we've had a few other people contribute. Um, one of my one of my coworkers has helped out with it. Um, we've had a, a few other people. Um, there's, um, I think, one of the the people in in your Discord, uh, X, uh, or uh, Hulu, um, has done a lot of work. He built out the uh, the game replay functionality, which has been a um, huge uh, huge thing for the site. A lot of people love that. Um, and then obviously we've had people like. Tirkovitz, um, helping out on the data analysis side of things, um, being a, a great advocate for the data and, and for what we're doing. So um, it's none of us are working on it full time. Uh, everyone's just kind of doing it out of out of interest and, and passion and doing it when time permits. That's awesome. Yeah, fantastic. I, like this is, to our knowledge, the only time something like this has ever happened. In, in magic i don't think anyone's ever tried anything like this i don't know if mtgo has any kind of data uh, community behind it but at least this is the most traction anything like this has ever gotten yeah i i know there have been things in the past where people have aggregated certain statistics i, I think it was mtg goldfish um a while back would take results from I think from magic online and also potentially from like grand prix and stuff trying to formulate um uh, or figure out what the constructed metagame was um, at any given point in time and how those decks were only doing against each other. But um, you don't have the same granularity of data that we get from the arena logs. Um, so just nothing like this was ever really possible until now. Yeah, awesome. So before we get into some of the, the nitty gritty, so to speak, we wanted to get to know you a little bit more. So I want you to think way back, what is the earliest Magic the Gathering experience you remember? Some kind of like kitchen table play or you said you started when you were a kid, yeah? Yeah, I, I was probably in middle school at the time. Uh, uh, a friend of a friend had a bunch of cards and I think he just brought them over one day and um, we started playing with them. Um, knew nothing about the rules other than the, the very basics that, that you needed um, and I'm sure made up uh, a whole bunch of stuff on the, on the fly and um, we spread it to a few other friends that, that we had and had maybe half a dozen people who would play in, in giant multiplayer games um, with terrible decks and um, terrible mana bases and uh, just the biggest creatures you could find shove them in there because numbers are good but that's the original magic for me yeah if it costs a lot of mana and it's got a high power high toughness it's it's got to be good Sometimes I, uh, I miss the days before I knew how the stack worked. Those were simpler times. <laughs> Going, I mean, kind of staying in that that time period or that era of of your career with Magic. We're curious, what was your favorite Magic card? Uh, it was so uh, so. It was around the time of Prophecy, I think. Prophecy Invasion um, that uh, that I played as a kid, and um, sticking with the theme of uh, big big creatures. Uh, is it Avatar of Might? Um, was the it was some green rare that was like I think it was like for ten mana for like a ten ten trample or something that uh, cost less if your opponents had more creatures than you. Um, but uh, so a potentially cheap way to get out of a big creature. Um, it had trample too, I think. 
was that was the one for me. I feel like I should look this up and give give the people more more accurate details about East Rifle. I got it up. Yeah, uh, we got six green green for an eight eight avatar. If an opponent controls at least four more creatures than you, avatar might cost six less to play. Trample. Yeah, that's solid. I, <laughs> I got the uh, the general details right, but none of the uh, none of the specifics. I, I would be terrible at the. Uh, um, what's the what's the game they play on on LR of guessing their cards by the name? Oh, uh, stuff, stuff, Louise. Yeah, let's them for a guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's more the vibe that matters in the end. Big, 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 big beefy green creature. Of course. So, kind of on the similar, uh, similar route. How would you describe your magic play style in in a single word? A single word. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess assertive, maybe. Um, I, I feel like uh, I generally want to make my opponent have it and will uh, my general tendency is to play towards shorter games um, and so uh, yeah I find myself um, trying to get on board and, and play quickly bit of an aggro fan then? yeah either aggro or more tempo um, I, I feel like often the deck that suits me the best is um, like a blue red tempo deck um, blue red spells that um, get on the board that uh, get them dead before they've been able to use all the cards or if I've bounced a few cards to their hand uh, make them pay for that I love it yeah that's that's right up my alley as well Ben uh, not so much but <laughs> that, that's uh, that's right up my alley we all have different tastes some for tastes sure. are correct and some are incorrect well some are correct and some are yours so <laughs> okay <laughs> welcome to that one I guess uh, all right our next question here is the one that is at the forefront of all of our listeners' minds. It's the one that, that is burning holes in everybody's heads when we have guests on. If you were a potato, how would you want to be prepared and served? Yeah, so I, I tried not to think too much about these questions beforehand, but this one I, I don't think I could answer on the fly. So, so my answer here is that I would want to be uh, baked, uh, baked potato, so I could be put to, put to a nice sleep uh, before being uh before having someone dive into me with a knife. <laughs> that is that is certainly a, a good way to go, I suppose. Um, and, and you know, baked potatoes also have the added benefit of being able to kind of throw whatever you want onto it. You know, like a loaded baked potato is great, and they're very customizable. So I think that's a great, great choice. To kind of bridge our way back to magic here, uh, if you could make any changes to Strixhaven as a format, what would it be and why? That's a good question. Um, I think... The most part, they did a pretty good job with this set. Um, I think what I sort of gravitate towards here is um, the Mystical Archive cards. Um, I, I actually love them and the sort of variety that they add. Um, and so I would actually lean into that a little bit harder. And I don't know if I would add a larger card pool so that there's more diversity in, in what you get there or um, add a second Mystical Archive card in each pack or something. Um, but I, I think the variety that it adds is, is pretty good. So I'd lean into that a little bit more. Cool. I agree. I, I sometimes feel like I see the uncommon ones just a little too often. I think that pool could be expanded a little bit. Honestly, I wouldn't mind if they did this again. I don't know if I want this every set, but it, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, these are, I think, a much better version of was it the invocations that they had in Amoncat or the expeditions, at, I guess, in uh, one of the Zendikar sets a while back. Mm -hmm. um, having them in every pack is, is nice. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think it was last episode we were talking about this um, a little bit more. Ben and I were going back and forth about how we would like to see this used in the future. And I think I know like the mystical archive flavor to it fit Strixhaven very well. But I would absolutely love to see these this style of of thing going forward in most sets. It's uh, a nice way to get reprints for cards that typically don't have them without having to dedicate an entire cent set to reprinting those. And then, as you say, it's definitely nicer to see them in every pack and feel like you're getting rewarded just for opening a pack than like the invocations and and um, uh, yeah, the expeditions were because they were just too hard to get access to. I think it, it didn't feel great. Yeah, and and when they offer sort of a, a once in a set build around opportunity, like um, like a, a storm deck with devouring uh, tendrils. Or Tendrils Vanity, sorry, um, or something like that is uh, a fun opportunity. Yeah, and it seems it actually seemed like they curated this set of of mystical archives well to fit with the format quite a bit because you know we have the storm cards. There's the Prismari decks that care a lot about storm and Magecraft is throughout the whole like all the colors. So there is a, a very very much a, a spells matter sub theme through the set. So those cards felt right at home they didn't feel like they were just shoved in there um and then you had cards like approach from the second sun which is like a big beefy spell and copying spells is a thing i, I know, know that interaction doesn't exactly work with that card but you know it it felt like they curated it well and i would love to see them continue to do that for sure all right i think we should get into our main topic now i mean we have mr 17 lands so to speak so we wanted to kind of chat about 17 lands and how to use some of the features on the site a little more effectively so for those that I guess I've been very confused listening to this podcast so far. 17 Lands is a website and it is magic limited data focused. So um, we are huge advocates of it here on the show. We use it all the time. Uh, we've recommended it to, to many people. And some of the bigger features of the site that we, we've chatted about before are the ability to see draft logs and kind of like share a draft with the people. Uh, it's what we often use for a Krakajive type thing even. As well as kind of see some of the uh, card ratings and and win rates and, and other certain things, uh, that is what we're going to delve into more today. We've kind of realized that the future of Magic Limited is data-driven. I think this is this has become a, a bigger idea recently. I remember seeing one time on Magic Twitter, there were some pros arguing about uh, whether or not, like, I think it was Cram Session was, was a, a pick in a certain pack. And then uh, someone just like posted the 17 lands data and they're like, no, look, I'm right. And I remember seeing that like, whoa, this is this is a pretty significant turning point in in Magic's evolution. So how did this take off? What 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 kind of propelled this from just being, I guess, your pet project to now this thing that I'd say the average limited player knows about? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, it's like, having been involved with it for two years, I don't know that I can pinpoint a time when um, I would say that it took off um, necessarily. Like there's... Um, Oftentimes, the way the, the growth has looked has been kind of slow, steady growth. I, I think at first we were adding maybe one or two or a, a couple of people a week um, using it. And then um, one thing would happen, I would publish an analysis where um, uh, I think the, the first podcast with a, a mention was the Lords of Limited podcast. Um, when uh, back when bot drafts were the only thing you could do on Arena. Um, they mentioned it and a number of their users started started using it. So we got a, a big jump then and also a little bump in the growth rate. Um, and then um, we would sort of add add more users, get another analysis. Sirkovitz uh, got involved at, at some point and post, started posting some of his analyses, which have um, continued to go on and continue to get better and better over time. 
um, and that just sort of kind of slowly add, add more users. And then um, uh, I think probably the the biggest step function in our in our users was starting to be talked about on limited resources. Um, obviously, the the biggest podcast in the the limited space though has has the most reach and um, getting endorsement from them of doing something valuable. Um, I think has has brought a lot more um, users in, a lot more legitimacy. But um, it, like without any of those previous steps, the the next step wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to happen. So it's been um, more gradual growth over time. I would say. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not very surprising to me, at least that that this is something that eventually caught on. I know you're saying it didn't seem. It's not really like an overnight sort of thing. Um, and I know as a consumer of of content and and like being someone who just uses 17 lands and doesn't actually work on it it kind of seemed to me like it happened overnight but i'm i i know how that can definitely be misleading but it's not surprising to me at all that it took off because it's it's basically what limited players have wanted for a while given that we had a lot of data aggregation in the constructed space for a long time we had tournament results for a very long time we've had like you know like aggregating uh, results of different archetypes for quite a while and that just hasn't happened in limited because of the different nuances that are involved. So it's really cool that uh, not only were you able to do this, but obviously um, off the back of, of arena actually exporting logs that are, that are usable and parsable and things like that. And so that, that's kind of the main feature that we obviously look at with uh, 17 lands, like that raw data that we can just go look at. You do have uh, a number of different, as you said, a a number of different analyses and uh, different articles being posted on the site now as well. But all that data is just there for us to go look at, which is awesome. Um, we really like that it allows people to interpret it as they as they need it. If they aren't really interested in a particular subset of the data, they don't have to really pay any attention to it. They can just look at what they care about, and that's also really awesome. But as we said, there's a lot of kind of incorrect ideas or, or not fully formed ideas about how to use that data. So we wanted to cover first a few fundamentals about data analysis and data usage, and I'll just jump into it. One of the first things that I think people are introduced to when it comes to data analysis or data usage is sample size. It's something that's talked about all the time, and it's generally very important, but not always explained why it's important. So can you just explain a little bit what are sample sizes, why are they so important, and um, why do we hear about it so much in in data analysis talk? Yeah, for for sure. Um, I I mean, the the biggest thing with sample sizes is that, you know, for anything that we're looking at, that we're observing, um, there's some amount of randomness in it. So if I, um, if I take my deck and um, go 7-0 with it in, um, in Mythic, it's not necessarily um, that that is the best deck ever. Um, there's Magic is, is a game with random chance. Um, and so I may have just drawn well, my opponents may have uh, gotten flooded. Um, any individual data point is not, um, not totally representative. Um, and so, but as you add more and more and more data over time, um, if you're looking at things that are similar and have multiple observations of them, you can sort of hone in on um, what the actual um, likelihood of winning for a given deck or card or, or whatever it is that you're looking at um, might be. Um, and so the higher the sample sizes that you get, um, the, the more confident you can be in the, the result that you're looking at. Um, and so just some, like, um, if we're looking at win percentage for something, um, just some, like, rough numbers to keep in mind if you're looking at um, 
something that has about a thousand data points associated with it, um, and you see that it's a 50% win rate, uh, you can expect that as you get more and more samples, that's going to be roughly within three percentage points of um, uh, where you're going to end up long term. Um, so if, if I like to put that as a concrete example, if I um, have read on 17 lands and we have a thousand um, games played with it and the, the win rate is 55 percent um i would guess that the time we get to um 100 000, um games played with that uh with that color pair that it's going to be somewhere between 52 and 58 percent percent um but definitely not guaranteed that that's going to be the case but that, that's sort of the most likely outcome but um i would not be surprised if started out at 55% and then moved down to 53% and then jumped up to 57%. Uh, anything you guys want to add there on sample sizes? Yeah, it's interesting to, to just note in, in kind of big picture terms that when we look at any single uh, like percentage, um, we maybe should be taking it slightly less literally than this is like the hard percentage of this thing. Um, like you mentioned, the more and more data that we have, um, it tends towards, I guess, what you'd call the the real uh, answer, but uh, I guess that's just more of a reason to get everybody on 17 lands, right? Absolutely. The, the more people we get, the closer we can get to the real number, whatever whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's something um, that I think is, is important to keep in mind as well. Like it's, as you mentioned there, Rob, like it's not surprising to see a certain archetype at a certain percentage and then come back in a few weeks and see that, you know, it's got an extra 25% samples. And now that percentage is different because we are essentially trending toward a more specific answer. But yeah, it's it's never we're never really going to get that that 100 percent perfect value that that is perfectly representative of of uh, the data we're looking at. I was also going to add that um, like target that we're trying to get to is it's probably going to change over time as people understand how to play with the cards, as people um, as the like overall balance of the metagame shifts if people are playing a lot of lore hold at the beginning of the set and then a couple weeks later instead of having two lore hold drafters per per draft you're down to one um like that target uh target win percent is gonna um, gonna shift so um it's it's tough when you have a, a moving thing that you're trying to track um along with having to deal with the variance of any individual match yeah that's a great point and i think uh, a lot of newer limited players don't necessarily think about that aspect of of limited, but there is, you know, I, at least when I first started playing limited and I heard about a limited metagame, my thought was deck A versus deck B and how the two of those match up against each other versus all the other decks in the format. But there's actually like a, a different metagame that in, that's taking place while you're at the draft table, right, where you and drafter seven, let's say, of the eight person draft table are both drafting the same color pair. And now you have competing uh, individuals working to, to build the best version of that deck as they can, and you're obviously taking resources from each other. So there's there's a bit of a metagame there to understand, like, based on the, the cards that I'm seeing, you never want to sit down at the draft table and, and force a specific deck right out of the gate, but based on the cards that I'm seeing, who else is drafting these these decks and which should I move into? Um, and that, that adapts and changes as the format gets more quote-unquote solved. So um, yeah, those numbers definitely do change. So kind of along the lines of that, along with that, um, we've talked we've talked about sample size. We talked a little bit about understanding what data is available and, and when to use it, where to use it. But what do I actually need to, to keep in mind? What do I need to know when I'm trying to take these data points that I see on a site like 17 lands and apply them to my decision making? Things like perhaps, you know, the population of the sample, 
different assumptions that you need to make when you're actually trying to make results out of the data that you find? Like, what are what are things you need to keep in mind when you're actually trying to apply this data to to decision making? For sure, um, I, I so this is one of the things that I tried to think about a little bit before hopping on the show and um, outlined some points here and and realized I basically outlined the scientific method. Uh, so, um, the the way that I have it um, outlined here is first you want to ask a question. Um, so maybe your question is like, what's the best card to, um, or what's the best card in Strixhaven? Um, and then really, I think you want to, um, get a little more specific, um, on there. So, um, dive deeper into what it is that you're really trying to ask. Like maybe instead of what's the best card, maybe you're trying to ask what is the, what card that I pack one, pick one will lead to the most wins. Um, so get, get specific about what you're trying to learn from the data. Um, then go out there and, and look at what data is actually available. Um, so I, I think we'll talk about this a little bit more, but if, if you're using 17 lands, there are various win rate statistics that we can look at, um, or, um, maybe you're not actually interested in performance. Maybe you're interested in, um, how people are evaluating the cards and you want to take a sample of all the tier lists that people have and look at the card that's highest rated among all of them. Just sort of understand what you can use to answer your question. Um, and then from there, I, I think it's good to um, actually understand what, uh, what the data actually means. So um, what are the caveats that go into there? Um, if we're looking at game in hand win rate uh, on, on 17 lands, does that mean um, that card counts one per game, or if it's a card like um, uh, like Rutha that can end up in your hand multiple times per game, does that uh, oversample it, or um, how do lessons play into that? Uh, understand actually how um, how the data is formulated so you can know how to relate it to your question. Um, then another important step is to form uh, form a hypothesis. Um, so before you've actually looked at the data. Um, looked at the sources that uh, you think might yield an answer, um, take a guess, uh, take a stab, be it's mascot exhibition or maybe it's um, one of the, some other mythic in the set or something. Um, and this is important because it can help you identify sort of um, misinterpreted the data when you look at the results or um, uh, it can sort of drive a lot more learning when you understand maybe why you were wrong and, and what your guess was. Uh, and then once you have that hypothesis, then actually jump in and, and dive in and look at the data, um, see how that compares to your hypothesis and um, think about the results and what that actually means and, and what you learned from it. Um, so a lot of process goes into trying to use the data data properly. Obviously, you're not going to do that for um, every decision you're, you're trying to make or every argument that you're going to, that you're trying to make, uh, just judging by the sheer number of posts I've seen on Twitter or Reddit or, or wherever, where people are just pulling out a, a number and they use the same number every time. Um, not going through all of that, but I think it's, it's important to really understand um, what argument you're trying to make with the data. And I actually really like the way you laid that out because it, it does pretty, pretty nicely mimic the scientific method. And, and I, don't think that's accidental really right there's a reason that that general science and ben you can talk a lot more to this than i can given uh your background but there's a reason that that the scientific method is set up that way and i think you know most most of the scientific studies that are done are really about data in and of themselves as well so it doesn't surprise me that these two kind of mirror each other so so closely 
Yeah. Uh, Zach alluded to this, but my background is in astrophysics. And I think that this is perfectly mirroring the scientific development of ideas in physics and other sciences too. In fact, uh, Zach, we got to jot this down. Let's have a show sometime about how we can like apply the scientific method to learning about limited. There's a bunch of physicists that listen to this show. So I think that'll be a fun thing to do down the line. Sure. But anyway, yeah. Um, now, kind of a, along the lines of some of these uh, incorrect ideas that we often see floating around, let's just rattle off a few real quick. Um, first of all, does win rate equate to pick order? For example, if I see two cards and one has a higher overall win rate, I should just always take that, right? No. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. I mean, like I said, you can like take that piece of information to um, sort of inform what you're doing. But um, especially in, in magic and the drafting portion, once you're more than maybe two picks in, you, there's probably no, I, I could actually, actually probably go in and, and look at this, but um, no two drafts are ever going to be the same. Um, so by the time you've seen two or three packs of cards, I've made a couple of picks, um, you're in a completely novel situation. And so, um, you don't actually know what the win rate of um, card A versus card B is in that exact situation. As much as I would like to get every player on Arena using 17 lands, um, even still, we would never get um, get enough data to be able to answer those sorts of questions. So there's going to be all sorts of caveats that um, come in, whether it's the color pair that you're in, the, the synergies between your cards, um, it, uh, like as much as we should all strive to not necessarily have a particular play style, um, like that's going to factor in as well. And so, um, no, you should not be blindly using win rate um, to decide which card to pick. Yeah, it's actually uh, it's it's funny the way you you phrase that. We we've been talking about this this idea that that's kind of Ben's brainchild that that he calls vector theory, which is just a, a an idea that he came up with to discuss how to best build a deck and, and construct it in the, in terms of the actual draft portion of, of limited. And that kind of ties into that as well. Like the, the overall look and the picture of what your deck is at any given pick is going to have more heavily or should more heavily influence the next pick you're making over just a single data point, like, like win rate or uh, yeah, win rate in hand or, or anything like that, because especially in magic, like the data is so complex and the, decision-making points are so complex that that there are just way too many factors that are in in play to uh to limit it down to to one specific thing now that being said i uh, uh would be lying if i say i haven't uh tried a draft or two where i solely based it on the the win rate just to, to see how it goes um but i would i would not recommend doing that as a long-term strategy <laughs> i'll have to uh fire up the uh the 17 lines draft sim and uh, <laughs> give it a go in that, so I don't have to test. Waste safe the oh, yeah, then you're not wasting gems. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, side question because that just came back up, and because I am a software nerd, I'm just curious from from a model perspective: Are you training the the model off of the Sims as well, or just on data that's collected from Arena? Uh, currently, just off of the data that's uh, collected from Arena. Um, I think if we look towards, say, when the next set comes out and we want to build something for that, obviously we're not going to have um, something from day one, so we may need to turn off some of that data. But um, I generally would like to lean towards things where there's at least some amount of stakes on, on the line so that um, 
don't have people who um, are just kind of randomly picking through um, polluting the data. Yeah, that's that's where my head was going as well. I was, I was just curious uh, how you guys were handling it. That's cool. It also allows us to uh, sort of look at the how the deck did overall or how the like the user that did it, what their um, overall performance is, what their win rate is, or what their rank is, um, so that we can, if we're trying to build better bots and, and better is, um, like what better means is like that's trying to draft the best deck or is that more closely mimic human behavior or, or what, um, but if we're trying to, uh, mimic something that builds a better deck, um, then you want to be able to incorporate that win rate data as well. Sure. So I have a, a side offshoot question. Do you have a plan in place for when the 17 lands site gets too smart and, and starts to take over uh, more things than just to the magic Twitter? Uh, I, I do not. Uh, yeah, I, I do not have a, a big red button to hit to turn everything off. Uh, maybe maybe that should be my next project. God help us all. <laughs> anyway, uh, what's our next question, Zach? Yeah, so next, kind of along with the win rate equating to pick order, does a specific color pair having the highest win rate mean I should force that color pair? What, what's your goal? Uh, if your goal is to, to win, um, you might get you might actually get away with it for a little bit of time, but... Um, uh, Generally, I'm I'm not a I'm an advocate for leaning into something, but not forcing. Um, so no, just because Silver Quill is the has the highest win rate for now. Actually, I don't know if it still does. Um, doesn't mean that I'm trying to do that every draft. Yeah, we just uh, anecdotally we had a we had a, a member in our Discord who was kind of this is something we saw a lot more with the bot drafts when we didn't have in person drafts, but you could kind of force different archetypes because the bots didn't prioritize good cards in those archetypes. And we saw that kind of happen with Silver Quill recently where you could kind of force pretty solid Silver Quill decks repeatedly. And we had we had a, a listener in the Discord um, string a couple of trophies together with Silver Quill and I was like, well, I, they may have adjusted the bots because I just went like 1-3 with a couple of Silver Quill decks. <laughs> uh, I, I think for at least a little while, I, I think Rectos was actually the color pair that technically had the highest win rate um, on the um, the color performance page, uh, and that data only updates once a day. So even even if we had people going in and forcing it, it would take a little while for you to uh, course correct to something that has a, a better performance than forcing Rakdos every every time. Yeah, that, that's actually really interesting. I didn't know that. I think it was a sample size of one or two drafts. Yeah, I was sense. gonna say that I would I would expect a, a small sample size with with an absurdly high win rate or something like that. But uh, just wanted to flip it back to you. Um, are there any other kind of irksome misuses of data that you you frequently come across? Anything you've been dying to get up on a soapbox and and scream about to the world like you're using it wrong? Uh, I don't know. It's a it's a good question. I mean, I think the biggest thing um, uh, that I've I have noticed at some points as people just misinterpreting what the data means. Um, and so uh, sometimes that was a matter of telling people, hey, scroll down to the bottom of the page and read the FAQ. Um, more recently, there were some things that came up where it was not actually clear from the FAQ. And so I built out a, a page that gives more clear definitions for everything that's going on. But um, yeah, I think trying to, that's sort of the best that I can do is try to point people towards understanding what's there. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't have the bandwidth to pay attention to every little thing that, uh, that people are um, trying to assert from the data. Um, but yeah, definitely the this card has higher win rate, so you should pick it or you should include it in your deck um, is, the, is the most common one that uh, I think takes me and a lot of other people off. 
Yeah, and that, that's a, a great mention there too uh, to the listeners. If you have come across data on 17 lands that you just don't really know what the terms mean or things like that, check out the FAQ because that's huge. Um, very, very good explanation. And then, yeah, that, that new page, as you mentioned, uh, would have bigger uh, or, or more descript, uh, descriptions there. So if you have any questions about that kind of stuff, check the FAQ out or just Google the different terms because uh, that can be a big deal when it comes to actually understanding what the data that's represented there is is talking about. So when looking at the card ratings page on 17 lands, the chart that shows up there can be a bit daunting. There's a lot of different points, a lot of different information there. There are even like multiple different versions of win rates. You have things like card in hand win rates and uh, win rate when drawn or, you know, things like that. So can you break down the different win rate columns, what they mean about a given card? Um, and Sirkovitz also has a very, very awesome article on this on the site too. So listeners, if you're interested in getting more details on this sort of thing, definitely check out that article. We'll link that in the episode description. Yeah, for sure. I would definitely recommend checking out uh, his article there. Um, provides a lot of um, color on, on why it's important to pay attention to the, the different numbers here and what the implications of them can have. Um, but yeah, so, so I pulled up the site here. I, I don't have them necessarily all in, in my head, but um, yeah, so the, the first one and the one that we had for uh, a long time was the uh, games played win rate. Um, and so uh, perhaps should have chosen a, a different name for this because I, I think it's easy to misinterpret. Um, but this one is uh, the number of games where it's in your deck. Um, so not necessarily cast because I, I think that's where the confusion comes from. Of I'm playing this card, I'm, I'm casting it is often what people mean. Um, but that's the win rate when the card is in your deck, regardless of whether you drew it or not. Uh, the next one we have here is the opening hand win rate. Uh, so this is the win rate for the four cards when they are um, in the hand, the last hand that you've kept. Uh, so if you draw a seven-card hand, mulligan, um, and then put one back, it's going to be those six cards um, that you have that you start turn one with. Um, the next one we have here is games drawn win rate. Um, so this one is looking at cards that got into your hand sometime after um, after your opening hand, so it was, wasn't part of your, um, it was there turn one or later. Uh, then we have games in hand win rate. So that's basically just a combination of the opening hand and um, the games drawn. So any for any card that was in your hand at any point during the game, um, that's, in, that's included in there. Then we have um, games not drawn. Um, so this is, like it, it suggests, anything where um, the card was in your deck, but it was not in your hand at any point during the game. Um, and uh, the last one that we have here is, uh, this one isn't really a win rate, but uh, a metric that we've put here of improvement when drawn, which is um, the difference between the games in hand win rate and the games not drawn win rate. And the, the thinking behind that is basically the games not drawn win rate gives you a rough sense of the win rate of the deck um, sort of overall. Um, like even if I have a super powerful card, just how, how the archetype performs when it's not drawn um, gives you sort of a baseline of how much does this card add um, to that deck. Um, so that can potentially be a little better when you're looking, um, once you're more solidified um, in a deck to understand um, yeah, what's, what's going to be better for you. Awesome. And how does, how does working something like lessons in factor into the, these sort of win rates? Do you count those as, as, you know, if I learn a specific lesson out of my sideboard, does that count as having drawn that card? Uh, 
walk us through factoring something like that in. I know it's kind of specific to Strixhaven at this point, but yeah, so that, that's something that's not handled super well here, in, in that there's um, it's it's not going to be an apples to apples comparison against cards that are in your main deck because um, it's not going to show up in your games played win rate. Um, the only place it'll show up are the games drawn and games in hand, um, and so with a lesson because most of the time when you grab that out of your sideboard because that's the card that's going to fit the situation that you need or at least the best of those options um and they're going to have inflated win rates there um so there's probably other stuff that we could do um but i think one of the things that i try to do here is is keep things generic and evergreen when possible um and so uh something that we, that we could add and might provide some value in um in other sets like there's um there are cards I mean, a wish board is, is a term um, for a reason or occasional things that you can do to pull cards out of the sideboard. But um, yeah, we haven't had anything like that to this page. It is also starting to get pretty messy. The, there are a lot of columns here and hard to interpret. So we're going to need to break this up at, at some point if we add any more metrics to it. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, we, we saw a lot of talk about, you know, cards like Expected Anatomy having like very very high win rates in in a lot of the different columns and i suppose it would mostly be be cards drawn in and uh or games games when drawn and games in hand uh as you mentioned but um a lot of a lot of discourse has been around cards like that where yeah with the lessons you probably are just casting the one that you need the most and in most cases if you're behind that's going to help you win and if you're ahead that's going to help you win so <laughs> those those as he said might be a little inflated so um i don't know uh, that sounds like a little bit of a minefield to work through as far as actually parsing out the data that's relevant there but um was curious to get your take on it yeah and it um it was actually interesting at the start of the format um like of what we do in, in generating these statistics there's some data quality that goes in there um, and one of the checks that I had in place was um, if you draw a card that we don't think is in your deck because they're the logs that we get from arena don't necessarily link them together as well as we would hope um, initially we thought that that was a data quality issue um, and so we would just throw those out and not include them in these statistics um, but obviously lessons kind of throw that for a wrench because um, there you're actively pulling a card out of your sideboard that isn't in your main deck and so when we thought it was something that you can't cast um it uh was causing things to, to blow up and us throw out a lot more data than we should have so we had to go and, and update that logic a bit i think i should uh take this moment to apologize for the one time that i accidentally main decked a mercurial transformation and then won a bunch of games with it before realizing that i had main decked it i think i may have messed with some data there I, I know plenty of people who move things into their, their main deck to be able to take a screenshot and, and share and then forget to um, move them out and uh, plenty of people like that. Uh, yeah. Um, so looking at this big table of data, one way that I have tried to use this effectively, we've, we've given some examples of what not to do. I think it's about time we do the, the other end of the spectrum, right? Is just being very specific and literal rather than kind of offer these hyperbolic for example, if, if I sort by, say, win rate when main decked, Killian Ink Duelist comes to the top. So rather than say something along the lines of Killian Ink Duelist is the best pack one pick one in the set because it has the highest win rate when main decked, I would say instead, well, Killian Ink Duelist has the highest win rate when main decked. So it's probably a good early pick. Does this necessarily mean that it is 
better than X, Y, or Z, uh, things with other comparable win rates in other areas. Maybe it's a pack one, pick one, and um, you've got a Magma Opus and a Killian in the same pack. Then you're like scratching your head, like, do I just take the higher win percentage? I think it's good to look at exactly what the data has told us. And um, everything else that comes from there, I guess, is the, the human interpretation side of things. But I think it starts to get muddy when we start saying that the data is saying things that it's not actually saying would you agree yeah for sure and um to sort of build on that like looking i, I pulled this up and, and sort of um and one of the things that we can see um with this specific example is um killian i think right now has like 68,000 games played um with a 59.1 percent win rate uh, but if we look at professor of symbology which isn't uncommon so um, you expect it's been seen in the same number of packs. Um, it's got a slightly lower games played win rate, 58.3%, um, but it's got 87,000 um, games played. And so what we can learn from that is that it's got a much higher chance of making your deck because obviously it fits into more decks than um, a two-color card would. Um, so, yeah, sort of looking at what's there and, and being understanding um, some tangential pieces of information can help as well. Yeah, and actually, uh, you know, that example that that Ben just mentioned and Rob, you mentioned an example um, earlier as well, kind of when you were breaking down the different win rate columns, aggregating data can be huge as well and paints a much bigger picture than just taking a specific subset of data and saying, like, I'm going to apply this to situation X. Uh, In this case, you know, when you're looking at the games played, the actual number of times the card has been played or the number of times it's been drafted or whatever, and the win rate when played, you can kind of paint a, a more a more um, interesting picture. Like you said, Professor Symbology fits more decks. The decks that Killian works well in might might just be, like he might just work well in a specific deck and and those decks are really good, but can you can you really play them in, in too many other decks? I don't know. That data doesn't necessarily suggest that. So definitely good to take a lot of these different data points and different uh, subsets of data and, and kind of put them together to get a, a more holistic picture of what's going on. Absolutely. I, I have a quick question. This isn't something that I, I noticed before, but addressing the games not drawn win rate, what's kind of like a, a real world takeaway from this information? So sorting by this, I see Silver Quill Apprentice, Silver Quill Silencer, Shadewing Laureate, Spiteful Squad, Allen Shield Mage. These are all towards the top. This is a trend, right? We're clearly seeing a bunch of silver quill cards. What does this mean? Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the things that should jump out, like you said, is that these are all white black cards, um, and so they're almost only going to be played in um, in silver quill decks. Uh, and so I, I bet if we go look, um, there are games not drawn win rate of fifty nine, fifty eight ish percent um, probably pretty closely mimics the overall win rate of, of silver, silver quill and so um, yeah because these these cards are only going in those decks but that's what we're going to see here um, I, I can't remember who it was or what the specific card is it's probably going to be a terrible anecdote um, but uh, back in um, in the last set um, or, or one of the recent sets um, someone noticed that one of the cards that had the, the highest games not drawn win rate for a white deck or for of the white commons um, was uh, some enchantment. Um, and basically their interpretation from it was draft your decks like you want to play this enchantment, but don't actually put it in your deck. Um, so it, basically the lesson there was you want um, 
preachers that are going to do better by being um, uh, being equipped or enchanted, um, but you don't like the specific equipment or enchantment isn't necessarily going to be the the right one for your deck. So as we kind of start to wind down here, there's a few more tools on 17 lands that I don't think get as much love. Um, and some of those that I wanted to delve into real quick, um, just to kind of give uh, the listener just some more options of, of things they can do to uh, to use the site. So the card evaluation metagame is one that I don't see discussed too often. What are your thoughts on this one? Do you, you want to kind of come out in defense of it? <laughs> give more people a reason to use it? Yeah, uh, I, I love this and I uh, enjoyed building this and actually seeing what uh, came out of this. So what this does is it plots um, the average last seen at, so one of the, the draft statistics of where you're seeing the, the card in the pack um, for all of the cards in a given group over time. Um, so we can see how the communities, um, uh, like the, the overall magic communities, evaluation of cards have changed and the overall rankings of, of them and um and whatnot and so i think it's, it's pretty interesting to look at like you can sort of guess or identify if is there a, a limited resources effect when they mention these uh certain cards are overperforming do you see them jump in here because so many people are listening to it or if a specific card is getting hype um like uh uh like Varian books, for example, in, in this set, you can sort of track its rise uh, over time um, as people go from it being the third or fourth best to the second to the first um, and uh, use that to sort of, hey, okay, I know I was getting extra value from uh, Varian books super high in my pick order early on, but now it looks like everyone has caught up. And so maybe I should lean out of, of blue a little bit more. Um, yeah, have you been able to get any information from it? I'd say just in in big picture. Um, I've noticed that sometimes they stay kind of static. Uh, for example, I have up, up right now um, all commons uh, of all colors. And I know that, uh, that heated debate has kind of always remained up at the top uh, with environmental sciences now at the top, but having uh, climbed a bit since the beginning. I think this is something that I want to take a closer look at the next set. Jumping in now, I almost feel like I missed the boat. Obviously, I can go back and, and look and see how it's evolved. But I think, I guess, the next set that this would be really useful for would be the uh, the Dungeons & Dragons Adventures in the Forgotten Realms set coming out. I think I'm going to pay more attention to this tab when from the beginning and kind of use this to evaluate my own card evaluation skills uh, to kind of see uh, if I am keeping up properly or if my, I guess, my, my card evaluation sixth sense is accurate. I'm a little too biased as we're already this far into this set now. But now that I know more about like, I, I, to be honest, I don't even know I could uh, do all these different sorting and uh, you can sort by date too, which is really cool. I'd say this is a feature that I'm excited to use more. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see how long it takes. Like one of the things that I was worried about with uh, 17 lands kind of growing in popularity is um people are going to use the data and converge on things faster and limited sets are going to scale even faster. Um, but from this, you can see it takes weeks for people to really settle on um, card evaluation. And um, like you said, like environmental science just uh, like today even um, reached heated debate on, on this chart. Um, and 
I think that's something that a lot of content creators have been saying, this is the best comment to pack one, pick one, since very early on. So it, it takes a while for people to um, to adjust to that. And we can see that here. Um, you can even like sort of overall picture when, when you're looking at this, you can see that um, one people rare draft a lot at, at the beginning. Um, so all of the comments will be pretty deflated in their value and the rares will be higher. And as people fill out their collections, the rares sort of settle out a little lower, but a lot of the comments start to jump up. So a lot of in uh, interesting information you can glean from, from not looking at this. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. I like to see as well the way that people's, uh, so, some of the more vocal uh, individuals in, in the community, on, say on Twitter, kind of get ahead of the curve, so to speak, where they, you know, you can see just when, you know, somebody like Sam Black makes a comment about a card being really good and people undervaluing that card. And you can kind of use this to, to track like, oh, OK, it took him a, it took half a week or so or it took a week. But people finally caught on to, to what he was talking about. And it, it's interesting to me to just see how influential certain certain uh, creators are and who's listening and when and all that kind of stuff. So very cool to see the the sort of time tracking uh, aspect of that as well uh, for sure so we've got one more question here for um, related to to Strixhaven specifically. We've been obviously playing a ton of it and uh, really having a great time. So we'd like to know just from you specifically, what's the most significant or interesting thing about Strixhaven that you've learned thanks to 17 Lands data? Uh, I think the thing that I jump to is um, everyone's been focused on, which is lessons. I mean, um, we knew that lessons and learning were good pretty early on. I don't know that... Um, necessarily everyone understood before this that came out but as soon as people started playing with it it was apparent um but yeah as we look at the data um and i, I think circuit is a good post about this on um on twitter um just having access to four or five or six um, learn cards and a similar number of lessons and diversity of lessons um results in a huge improvement in um in your win rate um and so yeah, it's cool to be able to see that from um, look, see that reflect itself in the data, um, and especially comparing that to like the modal double face cards um, that we had seen in um, uh, what's that? Was that? They came out with Rising and then uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so com like comparing that to the modal double face cards in Zendikar Rising, um, where they got a lot of hype um, and. Uh, even people thought they were doing really well with them early on. Um, they weren't necessarily doing all that well for the community as, as a whole. And um, so interesting to be able to see and compare those headline mechanics um, across a couple of recent sets. Yeah, I would be interested to see, to like go back and look at, at overall win rates. And I know it's kind of hard to compare cards from completely different formats, but I'd be interested to see how like in general the the modal double face cards that were creatures on one side and lands on another across the board compared to ones that are maybe creatures on both sides or or uh you know creatures and equipment or th things like that because that was like the big hype with those at, the, at first was that you get to play lands for f extra lands for free or you can cut lands and you know all that kind of thing so i'd be curious to see how how they fall out in different the different formats now that they've changed a little bit but for sure at least um What's next for you? What's next for 17 lands? Uh, you mentioned earlier that you have uh, this draft simulator in the works. Um, anything else? What's big and exciting? Um, yeah, I mean, there's sorts of stuff that we're kind of tinkering with and, and thinking about. Um, I'm excited to add more features to the, um, the 
simulated drafts. Um, uh, we've got some quality of life improvements um, that are coming very soon to the um, uh, draft uh, uh, draft viewer. Um, and I think sort of long-term, what I'm interested in focusing on is, is there sort of general advice that we can be giving our users? Um, if someone has played um, done dozens of drafts in, in a format, um, can we start to give them advice of, hey, you're taking too many mulligans, or um, you uh, often wind up with um, too many lands in your deck compared to people who have a, a better overall win rate than, um, than you seem to have, or, hey, you, you force this, this deck more than, um, or this, this color pair than um, you probably should. Uh, I'd love to be able to get that sort of advice um, to, to people. We don't have anything um, in the near-term development that, that's going to enable that, but um, especially as we get more data, um, that, that's going to be more feasible for us. Awesome. Yeah, I think that would be huge. That'd be really, really cool to see. Would Just picking your brain a little bit, would you see that in terms of an overlay or just somewhere on the site um, within like my user settings, I could see, hey, like general suggestions for, for my user or would do you see yourself developing a, an overlay for, for Arena anytime soon? Uh, it's, it's not something that's on our uh, on our roadmap. Um, it's, it's probably more likely just given my uh, my background and, and abilities easier to put on the site. Um, but not to rule out a, an overlay at some point in the future. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for joining us. Uh, really, really enjoyed picking your brain here about some of the data and different uh, aspects of 17 lands. Anything you want to plug? The floor is yours. Talk about anything that you want to promote or, or plug or anything like that before we do our final wrap up here. You have yeah, I mean, a website, right? Uh, I've heard. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, so you can certainly visit us at 17lands.com. Um, follow, uh, follow us on Twitter at, at 17 lands. Um, but I, I would definitely encourage people if you're interested in, um, especially if you're interested in doing data analysis, whether or not you have a, a background in it, um, come join our discord. Um, it's linked on the contact page for our site. Um, we've got a lot of great people in there who are discussing, um, the, the kind of public data dumps that we've done. I, I guess we didn't talk about that actually on, um, on the podcast, but, um, not only do we have the sort of integrations that we think are most useful to people on, on the site, but um, I've also been putting some um, dumps of the raw data of like one row per game that we have. So um, hundreds of thousands of, of data points available for you to analyze. And if you're interested in poking around at that sort of thing or learning how to poke around at that sort of thing, um, come join our Discord and get a lot of people who are interested in helping out with that. Awesome. It's also a great place to go if you're having any issues with the software. The the like the whole entire Discord there is is very very helpful. So if you have tried 17 lands and couldn't quite get it working or something like that, I mean, out of the box, it's quite user friendly. But uh, if you did have any issues, that that Discord is definitely a great place to go. We'll link all of those things in the episode description as well. All right, and of course, if you're uh, interested or you haven't been yet jump into our discord uh the link to that is also in the episode description uh, we'll have different things and uh rob's in there as well at the moment not sure if he's sticking around or not but you know catch him while he's there i suppose uh, otherwise check out the 17 lands discord for sure and if you're interested in supporting us or 17 lands check out both of our patreons definitely huge help there um to to be able to support either of the two or both or whatever that may be and at the very least if you can't support directly uh monetarily 
spread the word, get people using 17 lands, get people listening to the podcast. Uh, it helps, helps tremendously. If you want to reach out to us, uh, you can do so on Twitter. You can find me at Rannick Alfredian, Ben at Betafish1, and uh, Rob there at 17 lands. And uh, you can reach the podcast directly at DraftChaff pod uh, on twitter as well and email us at draftchaffpod at gmail.com that does it for us and uh we'll talk to you guys next week so uh we have a little bit of a sign off this is the part of the show where if i feel like i haven't made enough of a fool of myself like during the typical episode i, I have just a few extra minutes to really just drive the, the point home uh but today uh i wanted to ask a question that i'm not sure you've been asked yet what is your handle what is viral misnomer uh, not, not a great story on, on this. Uh, I, I think it, it, uh, it was my Xbox live handle back in the day. And I think it was something that was mostly auto generated, uh, from, um, uh, from Microsoft. Um, so, uh, no real story behind that. Um, uh, I guess speaking of, of naming things though, uh, fun fact, um, one of the names that I considered for 17 lands was actually draft chaff. Um, uh, I, uh, my wife talked me out of it, uh, but, uh, it, it was one of the, I was brainstorming for, for a few days on what to call it. Um, and, uh, yeah, eventually settled on 17 lands, but draft chaff was, uh, something I was considering. That's awesome. Wow, that's amazing. I won't go. I, I think Ben will save the details on how we came up with draft chaff for our name, uh, for the anniversary episode where we're going to do a little bit more of a historical look at the show, but, um, cool. thank your wife for <laughs> us that the name was available. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, you, you would have heard from our, our very expensive lawyers that we definitely have, <laughs> but, uh, Zach, how, how did you get your, your handle name? Uh, yeah. So, uh, Rannick is a name that I thought I made up. Turns out it's actually a character in Baldur's Gate, but I hadn't played Baldur's Gate when I thought I made the name up. So I guess I kind of, I made it up for myself, but it, it was not unique to the world. Um, and Galfridian is the last name of a family from uh, Star Wars Extended Lore in the, the New Republic era. There's a, a, a whole story arc surrounding a kid named Finn Galfridian. And for some reason, I really like the name. So I just kind of smashed the two together. Good name. Thanks. Solid. Um, mine, I guess the quick bit, my last name is Fisher. Uh, beta fish. I mean, it, it, this kind of started as like my secondary account. I would use like Twitter and, and other things. It was like my secondary Twitter uh, that I did a lot of like shit posting on. So it was just like, it was like beta fish, uh, like my secondary thing. But uh, to this day, I'm not entirely sure how I should pronounce it. This beta implies it's like my secondary, like not my alpha, account, my beta account, but also it's not how you pronounce beta fish. Like the, the fish I believe is pronounced beta, right? I've always pronounced it. I've always pronounced it beta, but I'm pretty positive it's spelled with two T's, so it should be pronounced beta. I don't know. I'm not a linguist. <laughs> what if you come up with a third pronunciation? Ooh, uh, bata. Bata. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs>